Now, I hate to always start a sermon on such a strong negative note, but I got a great title for you in today's sermon on our series of This Is You that's entitled, You Are Resisted. You think, oh, man, that title, man, that's going to lead to some paranoia and some conspiracy theories. And Bob, you're really, you're really doing well talking about, you know, some of the positive aspects of who we are. We're on this series, This Is You, but that basically the, the premise is that let's believe what the Bible says we are and who the Bible says we are because it'll change the way you look at yourself and you look at life and go after things. And, and, and we've been talking about some, some great, great positive stuff in this particular series. And you're saying, Bob, you're being positive. This is good stuff. We talked about acceptance and family and adoption and you're gifted and God loves us and you're different and you're sent and you're empowered and, all, and you're free. This is all good. Why get negative? Because there's some other realities also that we got to come to grips with. That's what we need to understand. You know, if we're going to move forward, we're going to need to understand that there is an agenda and there is a reality of things that resist against what we're trying to do. I'm going to talk about three ways that we're resisted today. But believers, let's talk about just you and I here for a second. As believers and followers of Jesus, we are... We usually we land in, in two extremes. It's hard for us to stay centered, stay balanced, stay in the middle. How many of you found in your Christian walk it's hard to kind of steer? They ever had to steer something, try to stay in the middle, and you just want to pull right or you just want to pull left? How many people have found that you, even in your life as a believer, you find yourself pulling a little bit left and pulling a little bit right? Come on, we, we, all, we all have these types of things where it's hard to stay in the middle. We usually go to two extremes. One is a... a a, 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 what I would call a Pollyanna view of life. A Pollyanna is, 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 the, is the word used to describe someone who's just absolutely optimistic no matter what is taking place. Everything is good and everything is nice and, you know, and I love you and you love me. How many people remember Barney? <laughs> Come on, right? Let's sing it. I love you. Me, we're a great big family with a smile. Oh, different words. To say you love me too. Now, isn't that nice? Isn't that, I love you. Won't you say you love me too? Here's the problem not everybody loves you. Here's the problem not everybody's going to give you a hug. There's some realities in life that you need to understand. One of them is some people don't like you. And they never will. I don't care how nice you think you are, your heart for them, they don't like you. Here's another one. Some people don't agree with you. And not only don't agree with you, but they kind of want to just kind of work against what you think. And even the agenda of you follow through the way you think. Some people don't want to be a part of your life. I have to deal with that reality. A lot of people have left for very, very noble reasons, and I'm not here to judge, but I have to deal with the reality. They left. They, they really said to me, Bob, I don't want to be a part of your life. Now, in their mind, they're not saying that, but, you know, if you're the pastor, you're going to have to have come up with that conclusion. Well, what do you do? Well, I have their picture on my wall, and I throw darts at it, but uh, <laughs> shoot. I do not do that at all. Please, you can leave. Uh, but uh, some people are that way. Other people, they, they have an absolute agenda because of their 
hatred towards God to stop you. I was one of those people once that really tried to work against Christians and publicly opposed them, verbally, argued. I was the great debater against them publicly. So I understand being somebody that actually came against somebody. We got, so we got, some of us got these Pollyanna view, I love you, you love me, we're gonna be one big happy family, and it, it's not true, it's not real. Another, the other extreme we get into, we get into kind of the conspiracy theory, the, the paranoia, the suspicion. We trust no one. We, we're on a fault-finding mission. We're always smelling and discerning. We're always going after people. We're in isolation. We got walls around us. I mean, it's the other extreme. Now, they both lead to very unhealthy things. If I'm Pollyanna and I love you and you love me, I adapt to culture to such a degree that I get deceived. I hug culture to the place where I compromise my faith. I hug culture where I embrace a worldview that's not scriptural. I hug culture where I compromise the Bible. The other part, though, as I get way over here, I treat people horrible. I treat them with contempt. I treat them with anger. I treat them in a self-righteous fashion. I unjustly accuse them or their hearts, and I wound them. And I also sometimes, in that, can behave bad. You know, some Christians feel you're persecuted at work. My boss doesn't like me, man. The guys at work, they're, all, they're just, man, they don't like Christians. Well, they don't like one Christian. In many cases, it's, it's you're the Christian they don't like. You're not, you're not suffering for righteousness' sake. You're suffering for being a jerk. Just saying a lot of things today, aren't I? All right. Let's look at some scriptures here, what the Bible says is true reality. Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Armor of God or truce, or a metaphor that Paul uses about truce, that we're about who we are and who God is in our life that we can appropriate. That you may be able to stand against, now notice this, the schemes of the devil. Do you ever think that the devil had a scheme, a strategy against you? You personally. I bet you in the computers and the servers of hell, every one of you has a file. You know, Ryan Harder. Oh, here it is. Let's look at his weak points. Let's look at some of his confessions. Let's look at his journey. Let's look at his temptations. Where he got him here? Okay, there's a scheme against every single one of you. Paul goes on to say, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Right. What are we wrestling against? We're wrestling against rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil, not in this dimension, but in another dimension called the heavenly places. Because of that, therefore... Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand, withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Now, one of the problems of Western Christianity, North America, Canada, the United States, is that we have a worldview that's not shared by the rest of the Christians who live in other parts of the world. We have a worldview that excludes a middle world of influence over the behavior of men and women in societies a demonic world, a fallen angelic world, a satanic world. 
or even a middle world of mysterious evil and weird things that we just think, you know, because it doesn't fit my frame of life and my, and my observation, it must not exist. The problem with me and with you, I've only observed so many things, but just because I haven't observed it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Other parts of the world, they, they're, they're dealing with a different concept. They're, they're trying to answer the question, we're not just dealing with something evil, we're dealing with someone evil. And so when we're looking at the world, sometimes in the West, we exclude that there is someone evil that we are dealing with. It's not a part of our worldview. Now, I've probably preached the gospel in 23 nations. I've probably done a good 70 to 80 international trips preaching. The country, of all the countries that I've been in, where I've seen the most in this worldview is where, where the Pipers are from, and that is the country of Brazil. With Macamba, even though they got a tremendous revival going on down there in the nation, they fight tremendous spiritism. And there's things that takes place in this middle world invading that culture that it's hard to explain. A number of years ago, I was with Johnny's uh, uncle, Tom Wilkins, and we were downtown, a particular city, I forget what city we were in, I don't know if it was Cudachiba or Londrina. And there was, a, there was a girl, probably about 10, 11 years old, they put her on a bar stool, they blindfolded her. There's a crowd of about 500 people circled around her. And her little you know, guy that was controlling her would point to somebody in the crowd and blindfoldedly she would call out their driver's license and call out their address and just give all this supernatural, I mean, information. You say, well, that's groovy, that's word of knowledge. No, it wasn't. It was, it was a false power. We were, Tom and I started interceding in the back of the crowd because what happens is that there are things called lying signs. And, and Deuteronomy 13 says you got to watch out for that because they may give you a sign and draw you away from the law, draw you away from the will of God. That little girl couldn't help those people get free from sin or come to relationship with God or heal their marriage or heal their wounds. They just wowed them with a sign. Also in Brazil, I remember a, I was in a, a town... It uh, was in the state of Sao Paulo, and uh, probably a town of maybe 25, 30,000 people. And the pastor took me to a restaurant. And we're eating in this restaurant, and he says, he said, Bob, um, there was uh, here just a few years ago, there were people who were eating in this restaurant, the restaurant I was sitting in, and the, and the ceiling was shaking, and the building was rumbling. Now, this is kind of going to blow your mind, and I don't have any answer for it. And everyone ran out, and he says, everyone ran out, and they saw this, what you would call a UFO, on the ceiling of the building. It lifted up. The whole building caved in and killed four people. In our time, in this city, in this pastor, and these people, what's the explanation? I don't know. Well, one thing they know about in Brazil is there's this middle, mysterious world that affects people and evil things happen that they don't have scientific explanation for. My point is that there's a worldview that's different sometimes than we in the West, and we seem to let down our guard and to be gullible, and we just don't realize what we're facing, and yet Paul says you're to withstand this force. You're to resist against it. There's something attacking you. There's something strategizing against you. There's something working against you. And it's not the dark side of the force. It's a person. He has an agenda to oppose God and to oppose those who try to follow God. 
I love Eugene Peterson because I like the way he puts things in the message. And he says, and that, that about wraps it up. Using this the same verse that I read, but just a little bit different slant with Eugene here. God is strong and he wants you strong. So take everything the master has set out for you, well-made weapons of the best materials, and put them to use so you'll be able to stand up to everything the devil throws your way. Notice this. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps, a life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. That's a, that's a worldview. Now, here's the issue. It's a life or death fight. Question I want to ask everyone to reflect, on, reflect upon. What would be the consequence if we were in a life or death struggle and we didn't realize it? Peter said this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Some of your old King Jimmy versions, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And so Peter looked at persecution like we prayed about today. He looked at that there was a person, an entity behind that persecution that was provoking it. It was satanic. The apostle Paul knew he had resistance in his ministry. He says, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. Now I'm highlighting this to let you know that in Paul's worldview, there was an enemy resisting what he was trying to do for Jesus. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 10, is giving his apostles instruction. This is prior to his, his death and right before his resurrection. This is instructions when he's just training them in the three and a half years of ministry. He's sending them out two by two, but he's getting them ready for the ultimate mission after he goes to heaven. And he says this. I'm going to share it out of the message. Stay alert. This is hazardous work I'm assigning you. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack. I like that. Sheep running through a wolf pack. So don't call attention to yourselves. Be as cunning as a snake, inoffensive as a dove. So he says, listen, you're going to go share. You're going to fulfill my mission in sharing the good news of the gospel to everybody who lives on earth. But you're going to be facing obstacles and resistance. You're going to be like sheep running through a wolf pack. I did a men's retreat for a church in Walla Walla in August, and it was out east of Lewiston, Idaho, way out this reservoir. I don't even remember the reservoir's name, camp, and they gave me a camper to sleep in in this campsite. And Saturday morning I got up, and I've, I've heard coyotes a lot, um, you know, because they have coyotes around our house, and you have too. But I had never heard a pack of wolves. And we had a pack of wolves probably about a half a mile from camp that woke up the camp about 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning. You're a pack of wolves, and you just picture yourself as a sheep running through that pack. You might get a little picture of spiritual warfare, of what it's like to get resistance. I'm telling you, the one thing I thought is I'm sure I'm glad that I'm here in this camp, I'm here in this trailer, and I'm not out there. It'll send chills up your spine. It'll make a pack of coyotes Sound like little chihuahuas. <laughs> no. 
Who is resisting us? There's three people I'm going to focus on that we're going to wrap this up who are resisting you in your pursuit to fulfill the mission God's given you to become the person God's called you to be. The first one may surprise you, and that's you. Now, when the Bible is describing my nature and your nature, how many, how many parents do we have here raise some kids, okay? How many would agree with me that they weren't always sweet angels? <laughs> I got now a flock of grandkids, and all I can say is, here we go again. Here we go again. Here we go again. Nice little Johnny. The Bible describes my nature and your nature as a number of things. It describes it as, I like this one, the law of sin, that there's a law of sin operating in me. Uses the term the flesh. That means kind of animalistic. It thinks instinctively, not rationally or morally. It just wants to do what it wants to do. Speaks of the old man. That's not your dad. It's the old self before Jesus makes you into your new self. Uses the that idea, the concept of the old nature. But we, when we read about it in Romans 7, verse 16 to 18, and, and I want you to, if you have Bibles, regardless of your version, I want you to look, look this up with me, if you would. Romans 7, verse 16 to 18. I'm reading out the New King James Version here, and it says this in verse 16. Paul said, if then... I do what I will not to do or I desire not to do. How many people here have done something that you actually desire not to do? I desire not to do this, but I do it. I agree with the law that it's good. In other words, the fact that I don't want to do this means that I believe there's a moral law. Innately in all men and women, there's an immoral law, an instinct to know what is right and wrong. I agree to this. Verse 17, but now, you know, you think Paul's copping out, but he's not copping out. He's, he's just describing the war we have. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. There's some force, there's some person, there's some thing in me that's resisting what God wants to do in my life. There was a result of my human nature, result of being human, result of just being born with a bent in me that's crooked. That's the way the Bible describes us without Jesus. We got a bent. For I know, verse 18, that in me, that is in my flesh, not the man has been born again or the woman has been born again, but, but in this flesh, in this human experience, outside of Jesus, nothing good dwells. For to will or desire is present with me but how to perform what is good, I do not find. How many people have found that to be true? I know I need to stop this, but I can't seem to find the, the key or the juice or the power to stop it. How many people have faced that in your life? So, man, I've, I've counseled too many people. I've pastored too many people to know that that is, that is absolutely true, that this is our experience, that we fight something within us. We can't blame anybody else. It's, it's us. It's us. The Bible says, and I have found this true in my own life and in observing of others, that there's just something in me that wants to live for myself and not God, regardless of the consequences or the impact or who I affect, even if I'm hurting myself. Am I, 
My son-in-law, Mort, and I were watching my grandson, Wallace, one day. We were watching a football game in their basement, and he's got this nice new basement, neat for watching TV and stuff. And Wallace, just four years old, he just got up, he started walking, and he must have been tired. And he just walked right into a wall. Mort and I were watching him, and he just, he just walked right into the wall. He was smashing, crying and everything. He wasn't sleepwalking. He just walked into the wall. I remember Mort goes, buddy, like, buddy, what are you doing? What are you doing? How many of us do that? We just, like, in our human nature, we just walk into walls. You know, if you heard my story of the bad things happened outside of me, you would have great compassion on me, but... Let me just reveal to you the wonderful little boy that I was. When I was three years old, I have great memory of all these incidents. These are not things that are told to me. These are things I'm conscious of as a, as a human being about my early childhood memories. I was three years old. My sister was seven years older than me. She babysat for days and weeks, I don't know how long, to buy this porcelain doll that she just wanted. She, was, she would be 10 years old, and I was three or four. She might be 10 or 11. And she saved it and was neat. And I was jealous because she had something I didn't have. And I guess I had this little weird thing when I was three or four for dolls. I'm okay, guys. I'm straight now. All right. But. And so I remember her chasing me through the house. I grabbed it out of jealousy. She saved for weeks. And I grabbed this thing. And I got right when she was reaching over my shoulder to get out of my hand, I took my finger and I gouged its glass eye out. I gave her a one-eyed doll at the age of three. Wasn't I just a wonderful young boy? I remember stealing my first toy at the age of five. And I remember the scheme. It was in a box, a toy box, in my neighbor's garage, and I knew where it was. My friend Brian McNulty, that was his house, that was his family. I schemed to get in the garage. I lifted the chest. I wanted this fireman or fire truck toy. I took it. I hid it in my house. I never confessed up, never made restitution. Okay, I just, it's on my conscience, just confessing it to you. I just need to deal with it. But I remember being guilty. I remember being aware of I did wrong. I'm violated. I remember the fear of being found out. I remember the whole scheme of stealing. I remember swearing at my mother at the age of seven like a sailor. Just swearing, flipping her the finger, just being just vicious. I remember at eight, I must have been tough at eight, I got in two fights with two people I was very bitter at, and I beat them to a pulp, and I was happy about it. I remember at 10 being so mad at my sister, I slammed her finger between the door hinge and the door and cut it off. Wasn't I a nice boy? Now, why didn't you talk about stuff you did as a teenager? Because sometimes we look at people innocently, and we look even at our own children innocently. Now, I can tell you a whole story of evil that was done to me, but I'm telling you that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. Now, Bob, what does that do to you? It makes me just hug this thing called the cross. Amen. And every time we worship, I'm absolutely astounded at his kindness. Now, that's just when I was a kid. That kid grew up unredeemed. It gets worse. And so we have this thing that's working. You think, like, get born again, it's all gone. No, no, you have a power in you now, but the fight's not gone. Galatians 5 is very clear on that. Spirit lusts against the flesh, flesh lusts against the spirit. There's two agendas in you. 
Don't blame me. Don't blame the church. Don't blame your wife. Don't blame your husband. Don't blame the devil. There's a fight in you. And so we, we have this resistance that I got to put down. The second thing is what we've talked about at the beginning. There is a person named Satan that we read about in Ephesians 6. There's a scheme. There's a strategy, as we said, against you. Roadblocks, circumstances, lies, persuasions, temptations. You are in war all the time. And some of us do not realize it. Trying to stop you from what God wants to do in your life. Probably one of the most famous stories on this particular worldview was written by one of the great Christian thinkers of our modern times. His name was C.S. Lewis, a literature professor at Cambridge University. And he wrote a book called The Screwtape Letters. How many people here has ever read The Screwtape Letters? Raise your hand. There was 31 letters written from a, a, a veteran demon named Screwtape to his younger nephew or younger demon named Wormwood about his assignment against this newly born-again Christian called the patient and his instructions of how to lead him into temptation and how to move him away from the will of God. Screwtape says this to Wormwood, the safest road to hell is the gradual one. Uh, kind of speak to us here in Vancouver. It's the... It's the gentle slope. It's the soft underfoot. It is the, you know, the path without sudden turnings, slight turnings. Slightly, 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 slightly turning you. It is the no milestones. I've arrived here. No signposts. I don't know, I'm getting farther and farther and farther and farther away. But gradually one day, I land way over here. If you ever play golf with people, they'll, they might slice one. I mean, it goes way off into the apartment unit and breaks, you know, a window, you know, about lateral to you. The guy says, ah, I don't know what happened. I'll tell you what happened. You gradually learn how to swing wrong and 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 wrong. And just your basic makeup, how you swing, caused that ball to go over there. It didn't happen overnight. You developed a bad habit. You developed something that determined where that ball was going to go before it even got hit. The road to hell is the gradual one. We're in warfare. There is someone who was resisting you. I remember meeting Chuck Pierce. He's a famous intercessor. He's now uh, gone to be with the Lord. And I was introduced by Frank DiMazio to him at an intercessor's conference. And oh, it was nice meeting you. And I went over to sit over like maybe where Rod sit and he was be over like where Ben is. The worship service started. And as it started, that guy came running over to me, laid hands on me and says, there is a satanic, there is a satanic resistance against you and your church. Thank you. I just met you. <laughs> but see, we don't realize sometimes that there is someone that we don't see but is as real as you and I touching each other's flesh and bones Then we're in a conflict with that. Yeah. Lastly is people. I know people, you know, people, we love people. Yes, you love people. But can people be against me? Hey, turn with me to Matthew 16, and we're going to 
I'm going to get the worship team up here to give everybody hope. I'm getting them out of here on time. <laughs> Matthew 16. Let me give you the background of this story in Matthew 16. We're going to read verse 23 in a second. Jesus is preparing his disciples for his departure. He asks the question, who do men think that I am? And so they're all talking something, Jeremiah, some, you know, you think that you're Elijah, come back from the dead, and some say this, some say that. You know, we have a lot of opinions, don't we? There's a lot of human reasoning going on. There's a human spirit. And then he says, well, who do you guys say that I am? And Peter kind of steps out from the group. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In other words, you're the Messiah that was sent from heaven. And, and, and Jesus said, you know, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal. In other words, you didn't get this from any human being. You didn't get this from your IQ. This came by revelation. My father revealed this to you. Of course, Peter's feeling pretty good. You ever been used by God? You're feeling pretty hot stuff. I'm pretty good. Yeah, you see that, boys? I had revelation. And so Jesus begins to lay out his mission that he's going to be handed over to the scribes and Pharisees. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be killed. And three days later, he's going to rise again from the dead. Now, Peter doesn't like it. The 12 don't like it because it really crosses their political agenda because he's going to be set up as the king. They're going to be his cabinet. And this kind of throws everything, you know, out the window. So Peter, in verse 22 of Matthew 16, says these words. He says these words. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now I want to pause here for a second because something happens to Jesus at this moment. Jesus recognized a voice coming through Peter that Jesus has already confronted in his ministry. And, he, and, he, and that voice came to him in Matthew chapter 4 in his temptation in the wilderness when Satan said, I will give you the nations of the earth, just worship me. Now, the problem on this is that Jesus would get the nations of the earth when he died for the nations of the earth on the cross. So what did Satan want to lure him away from? He wanted to lure him away from the cross. And now Jesus recognizes that same agenda and that same scheme coming through his good friend, Peter. Matthew 4, he says, get away from me, Satan. In Matthew 16, he says, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you are mindful, not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. In other words, Peter, your agenda is so carnal that your reasoning is being used by Satan to oppose the will of the Father in my life. Can a believer, because of their agenda, because of their carnal perspective, can they be used by Satan? They're not going to hell, but they're not out of fellowship with God. But can they be used because they have a wrong agenda? Can they be used by Satan to resist what God wants to do in your life? And the answer is absolutely yes. And so we find that we're in a, a war. And there is resistance. We are to be, one, aware that I have a war within myself. That i got to crucify this thing called self. Bob McGregor, my old nature. i got to understand that there is a scheme outside of me, an invisible fallen angel with his cohorts that have schemes to resist me. Everything is not just a, I got a flat tire today. I'm in warfare. 
And then there are people, because of their agendas, that may be used for Satan to speak through to resist what God wants to do in your life. So bringing this home, how do we face resistance as followers of Christ? This is what we do. We've got to get a correct worldview. What is a worldview? A worldview simply is this. It's a conception of the world that forms one's reality. And we've got to form our reality around the inspired scriptures. That we have been given a mission to declare the good news of what Jesus did for mankind and his great invitation for them to come into relationship with him and his father. I mean, that is our mission. But we also have to understand that there is resistance to this mission, both within us and outside of us, that we must resist. And then we need to understand, in declaring this good news, we're going to be in conflict. And I wish I could give you a Pollyanna, Barney song, we love them and they love us. That isn't going to happen. I'll never forget the first demonized person I ever met. It was at a world map camp. I didn't tell this story for a service, and I may have told you this story before. Tamar says I tell a lot of my stories. But we were supposed to kind of greet each other in a transition, and this person was sitting in front of me. They had scraggly blonde hair. If you have scraggly blonde hair, Jesus loves you. He had an army jacket on. If you're in the army, God bless you. Bent over. And I went to the guy, and I, I said, hey, Jesus loves you. The guy looks at me, and he goes, I hate you. You sing too loud. Okay. Someone writes me a note when the worship starts again. He's just a little disturbed. You think? <laughs> you think? So I'm worshiping. As I'm worshiping, the song service goes on. He turns around. He's cocked back, and he's going to punch me in the face. I'll never forget, Sue's right next to me. She's engaged to me. She just kind of slips her arm into my arms. Kinda like, you know, she's just so nice. She just kind of smiles. But I faced my first demonic entity who hated worship. We must understand we're in this conflict. We must withstand. We must be watchful. We must put on the whole armor of God. We must be wise. We must be loving. We must be humble. We've got to be a lot of things, but we need to understand that we can prevail because he's with us. We can prevail because he's fighting with us, but we, can also, we need to also prevail because we're aware of it. We're watchful. Once again, let me ask a question. Is it possible to be in the fight of your life but not realize it? Let's stand to our feet.